Welcome to the Selling from the Heart podcast, your home for authentic, effective, and socially integrated sales strategies to help you master the art of selling. Join your co-hosts, Larry Levine and Daryl Amy, along with some of the world's best sales thought leaders and practitioners as we explore ways to help you grow your sales. And welcome back to the Selling from the Heart podcast. Your co-host, Daryl Amy, here today with Larry Levine. What's going on, Larry? Uh, you know, I'm going to take a different turn on this, what's going on, Daryl, because for our podcast listeners all over the place, Daryl and I are, are avid college football fans. Mm. So as we're recording this, I'm absolutely ecstatic that Alabama is not going to make it to the college playoffs this year. <laughs> well, that's just so, that's so friendly and positive to all our listeners now. I had to throw it out there because it's happy times is giving other people the, the opportunity. Other people, to right. Are getting a, a chance. And by the way, uh, if you're new to the song from the heart <laughs> podcast, welcome. You've joined a growing community of not- being different. And they're dedicated to being genuine, being authentic, uh, adding real value. We call it selling from the heart. And Larry, we are uh, right in the middle of the holiday season. It's the last month of the year. And I think to me, this month, um, you know, other than just closing out the year strong, means two things. Number one, planning for next year, which we talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks of the podcast. If you missed, I encourage you to go back and listen, because I think it will really give you some tracks to run on as you plan for 2020 to be the best year ever. But the other thing, this month of the year, more than any month, I think is a great time to remember to say thank you. And I was overhearing somebody in the coffee shop this morning talking to somebody else. Yes, uh, I eavesdrop from time to time. But he was just saying that gratitude is like the linchpin for his life. Everything else follows from gratitude. It's something we can control. And uh, Larry, I'm, I'm truly inspired by you and I'm inspired by our friends at Selling from the Heart who are committed to, uh, to send out cards uh, and Selling from the Heart seems synonymous. Our friends at Send Out Cards, boy, they, they just, the, the aura, the, the, the motion of gratitude around all of that is phenomenal. And I'm just, I'm just thrilled to be associated with it. It makes me a better person. Yeah, you know, it was interesting over the over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, my wife and I got a chance to hang out with Bart Ratliff and his wife, Laura, they were actually, they were on a big road tour of the western part of the United States. And as they're passing through right before they got to Hollywood, we met them actually for that cup of coffee. So we had to find a convenient place right off the freeway to meet and we started talking about Bart and I started talking about how we met and how much we appreciate each other and it was all based on him sending me a card, the very first card I received when I launched Selling from the Heart. Man, that's fantastic. And if you have yet to send a send out card, I encourage you to go to cards.sellingfromtheheart.net. This is the perfect time to do it. Think of someone you're grateful for today. Reach out and touch him. Uh, but I'll tell you what I'm grateful for, Larry. I'm grateful for the conversation we're about to have, have here on the podcast. How's that for a segue? We've got oh. a dynamite guest from the other side of the <laughs> pond that is going to bring uh, some encouragement, some insight, and I can tell this is going to be power packed. So why don't you introduce our guest and let's dive in. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. So I'm just going to preface before I bring on Marcus, guys, just put your seatbelt on because 
I've been on Marcus's podcast and we had a whale of a time for almost an hour just talking about all sales in general. But um, the one thing that, that I appreciate about Marcus is he keeps it real. He's genuine. He does speak from the heart. Uh, we're all opinionated, right, on, on selling from the heart. We, we say what we believe and we believe what we say. And uh, I think we're going to really enjoy having Marcus on the podcast. So without further ado, Marcus Kalki, welcome. Welcome to Selling from the Heart. We're looking forward to this one. Thank you both for having me. Oh, man, we're glad you're here. Now, as you step into the ring and Selling from the Heart, you, you know what the first now. question was. <laughs> You say that now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we shall see. But, you know, as you step into the ring and first selling in the heart, selling from the heart, you know what the question is that, that all of our guests get. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to your answer to the question. What does it mean to you to sell from the heart? So have, be authentic. Be genuinely you. And when you turn up to meet a prospect, you have two questions you must be able to answer yes to can I help? And if I can, am I the right person to help? And if your answer to either of those is no, it's incumbent on you to get out quickly and gracefully. Um, You should sell nothing to anyone which is wrong for them. Um, If a competitor is better for them, then have the integrity uh, to say, you know, Daryl, I've got to be honest, we we can help you, but you're going to get a better solution from somewhere else. And always tell the truth. Mark Twain said it beautifully. Um, uh, sorry, uh, Mark Twain, Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde. Um, Oscar Wilde said it beautifully, which is always tell the truth. It confounds your enemies and surprises your friends. And if you fail to tell the truth and you get caught in a lie, then while they may forgive you, they can never forget that you lied to them. So every word that comes out of your mouth is suspect. And in our world, the currency of selling, the currency in the channel, is trust and influence. And both of those are hard-earned and easily lost. Yeah, I, I applaud you, Marcus, because one, uh, that's the first time I've heard selling from the heart expressed that way. So thank you very much for saying that. But, but the other thing too is that I, I really wanted to pick apart just for a second. Um, we both can, Daryl, and then you know we'll move on, is if I'm not the right fit, I will tell you how many salespeople are willing to say, if I'm not the right fit, then fill in the blanks. Yeah. (laughs) It's a, it's a travesty. It should absolutely be avoided. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and this, this transitions to our conversation today, because I've spent my career working with channel partners. And I remembered when I was a, a sales representative for a technology company and, and I worked with, with channel partners, how many times salespeople would try to put the proverbial square peg in the round hole. We try to jam in something that doesn't fit. It's not the right thing, but the sales rep, you know, capitalized on their supposed relationship of trust with the buyer and, um, you know, and, and put them into a solution that was a terrible fit. It wasn't a solution. It was just a product. And, and those things always end poorly and why not just start the conversation with this mon- this resolve almost like a creed to say i'm not gonna do this well can i tell you why it happens mm-hmm. it happens because upstream they have failed to prospect 
they have a weak or empty pipeline. Yeah. And as a result, every deal matters to them. Mm-hmm. And um, it, whether you're in direct sales or through in the channel, your number one job is filling the pipeline so you have choice. And this is where most salespeople come unstuck. Yeah. Uh, we, when uh, our research suggests that only one in 200 salespeople are A players and somewhere between 6 and 12%, depending on the industry, are good B-plus players. The majority of people who are in sales, as Larry always describes in empty suits, these are people who will be replaced by the likes of Siri and Alexa because they are superfluous. They're utterly unnecessary to the buying process, and they're the ones that that awful statistic that's floating around the web that says 56% of the buying decision has already been made before they invite in a salesperson. What that tells me is your salespeople are bad. They haven't done their job. And as a result, when they come in, what they want to do is try and make the sale. They don't establish, can I help? And if you can't, you have to get out. Um, Otherwise, you're going to create a problem for yourself downstream. That then results in either mismatched expectations uh, or unfulfilled expectations and ambiguity and both, all of those things create conflict. Um, now, conflict is a good thing if it's constructive, but that type of self-induced conflict is destructive, and that, in my book, is mis-selling. And uh, to my mind, that's an act of gross misconduct. Well, you know, he, he real quick, you, you key in on something, because I actually write about it in Selling from the Heart, is these A players. And, I mean, that's a staggering figure that I just heard. I think it was one in 200, I think is what you said based on your research. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting is, and I see it and, and I, but I, I say in a different, you know, light is there's a lot of a players out there strutting around as a players, but enough more than C players. Mm-hmm. And that's why I came out with this whole thing about empty suit. And it's not to disrespect, it's mm-hmm. to get people to self-reflect, right? Look inside of you and say, okay, am I bringing the goods? As Daryl and I always say, are you bringing sincerity and you bring in substance to the table? Because we can all do better. And it's those A players that strut around thinking they're A players, I think are the most vulnerable out there. Well, a lot of those A players may have been an A player back in the 1980s or the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And what they forget is when Darwin was talking about survival of the fittest, he was talking about the survival of those that could adapt best to a changed environment mm-hmm. or changing market preferences. And buyer preferences and buyer behaviors have changed beyond all recognition. And so your veterans absolutely need training, absolutely need coaching. And your most ambitious uh, A players uh, want feedback. They want um, to improve. They want to get better at what they do. And if you went to a heart surgeon um, and he was going to crack open your chest and the last time he looked at a book was 1987, how much confidence would you have in that particular surgery? (laughs) Not much. Right. Well, salespeople are coming in and they're doing open heart surgery on your business uh, very often, particularly when we're uh, dealing with uh, key strategic investments. Fine. If you're buying a Mars bar or you're buying uh, biros for uh, office stationery, that maybe not. Um, But nowadays, particularly in technology, every business is a technology business. And any decision that you make can have catastrophic strategic implications. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to make sure that you really do understand what it is that is driving this investigation, why they're doing it, why now, 
Why haven't they done it themselves? What is it that is driving this whole process? Is there some form of compelling uh, event that if they miss it, there's going to be a, a knock-on effect? If they buy the wrong mix of technology, because um, nowadays um, the stack could be six to 12 different uh, solutions deep, um, and it's massively complex. And if you're dealing with high-ticket sales, it, you, know, you cannot afford to make these purchases incorrectly. Um, it, it can be a career-stopping move, but it can kill the business. So as a vendor, um, working with your partners, you absolutely have to make sure that it's the right fit for the customer and that you understand your partner's drivers as well. That's why channel sales is such complex. I, I, you know, without question, channel sales is genuinely the toughest and most complex job there is in sales bar none. Uh, Jay McBain produced uh, an infographic with over 90 different functions that the average sales manager has to deal with in a typical month. Wow. Yeah. I'm curious um, to just think about this together for a moment. You mentioned the A player that was an A player back in the 90s um, and and is now sitting there going, what, what do I do now? Um, you know, maybe, maybe you slid back in the ranks, maybe, uh, maybe you're nervous. Um, if what, what, what would you say to that, um, former a player that is, you know, well into their career and, and maybe not as sharp as they used to be? Well, I, I would say, look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. If, if you haven't invested in yourself and, um, uh, over the last, year you haven't read uh, well over a dozen books you haven't invested in training and development then that's on you I, I know we all expect our employers to pay for our training but it's not it's your sales career you are responsible and so that would be my starting point and um, seek help have the vulnerability to go out and ask for coaching ask for mentoring and and um, the, the best salespeople that I know are open and they have a growth mindset. Um, they are not the finished article. They flex and they bend. They're not brittle because the brittle ones snap. Um, and I always say that your five biggest competitors are fear, apathy, ignorance, denial, and ego, of which ego is the most dangerous. Uh, yeah. Denial yeah. is a spin-off version of ego. Ignorance is the least worrying because that just means you don't know. Um, Mm And that can readily be fixed. Apathy is almost unfixable unless you can find them motivation. And Mm -hmm. again, coming back to your question, Daryl, I would look at your motivations for creating change and wanting to stay ahead and wanting to improve. And fear, to be perfectly honest, most of your fears are unreal and unreal and will be unrealized um, because um, what most people are waiting for is their attitude to be right before they do the behavior. And what I found is that if you do the behavior, your attitude will catch up. If you're waiting for the attitude, you're going to be waiting for a cold day in hell. Um, And I I always look at this a bit like trying to get fit. Um, uh, uh, Who was it I was reading? Um, It was Keith uh, Cunningham's fantastic book, uh, The Road Less Stupid. Um, and uh, in there, he talk, he said he has this wonderful analogy, um, which is uh, a wonderful metaphor, which is you can't outrun a bad diet. You know, if you if you don't focus on the right end of the problem, and mm. I see this all the time. You know, time and time again, I see organisations that 
encourage their salespeople like crazy. They beat the drum, get out, prospect, prospect, prospect. And the minute the deal comes into the pipeline, they make it go into forecast. And the next question is, when will it close? And they miss out the middle of the funnel, which is really important. I, I just uh, released um, an interview that I did with Steve Norman, um, and it, MoFu is his big thing. It's the middle of the funnel. That's where you need to invest your time and your energy to qualify properly and to make sure that you've understood the pain and the better future that they're trying to achieve, what their motivation for change is, because every one of us sells only one thing. I've taught people to sell aircraft carriers, naked platters, female fantasy fulfillment coaching, matchmaking, uh, every hue, shape, and color of professional service IT. And the one thing we all sell is change. And Woodrow Wilson said it beautifully, if you want to make enemies, recommend change. Because as a species, we're, we're uncomfortable with change. There, there was a meta-study done about 10, 15 years ago of mankind's greatest fear. And um, out of 330 studies that they aggregated the data on, the one outcome was the future because with it comes uncertainty and change. Mm. And we don't like change. Yeah, but, 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 but here's, here's that, was, that was brilliant stuff. But, he, but here, here's something that I see happen all the time. I know Daryl does. I know you see it as well, Marcus. Let's just take, let's just take those top one, two, three, four, and I'll throw five salespeople in a decent size sales team. I don't care regardless of, of yeah. where we're at. Mm-hmm. What most managers fail to realize is those are the people, A, that are the most vulnerable in their company. They just don't know it. The second thing is they're the ones that actually do want to change deep down inside. They just, they just need a little push and, you know, a prod along the way. But some of the managers are afraid to do it because the complete opposite happens. They're too afraid that they may upset them. So they don't challenge them. Mm -hmm. They don't nurture them. They don't coach them. They leave them alone. I know because I was one of those people. Okay. So two things to take out of that. First of all, these are the people who are probably in control of your biggest, most profitable, and most important accounts. Yep. So if you don't look after them and you don't nurture and develop them, then they're going to leave and they're going to go to a competitor and create a massive gaping hole uh, in your uh, P&L. The second thing is that um, whilst they are um, experienced, um, you messed up in your recruitment process and your onboarding process. Because uh, if you haven't contracted with them that coaching was going to be part of their, uh, their role and uh, that you are going to coach them on a regular basis, um, then when you introduce it later, it comes as a bit mm. of a shock. Now, if you're a new manager, yeah. you need to put that upfront contract in place. Now, what's really interesting is that managers who coach have 80% more of their salespeople hitting quota. Um, I read another really interesting statistic today from Mike Allison um, which is that salespeople who are coached between three and three and a half hours a month typically exceed 105% of target, whereas people who don't uh, get that level of coaching uh, come in under target. And based on uh, the SRC report um, at the, uh, in July 2019, uh, only 44% of salespeople are likely to hit quota this year. 69.7% of salespeople worldwide are tracking at around 60% or below of quota, and only 30% will exceed their quota. Wow. Now, those numbers are terrifying. Um, now, if you take into account two other factors, 
which is the time available for selling, which on average is between 12 and 21% of their working day, mm-hmm. and the time when salespeople are highly productive and highly effective, which is 25 to 35% of the day, and you multiply those two together, then what you're getting is highly productive salespeople for three to seven and a quarter percent of the working year. That's exactly <laughs> the expression, Daryl, that most of the CEOs should be giving us today. Now, yeah, just so you know, guys who are listening to this, Daryl's eyes just got about the size of silver dollars. So th- there you go. But you know, I'm a you know, Larry, I'm a productivity hack, and I think that I mean we're we're uncovering some really good. Uh, some gold here for, for sales professionals. You know, if you think about even just to recap what we've said so far, you know, what, what are you doing to invest in yourself? Um, you know, books, books on, you know, audio books, what are you doing? If you haven't read 12 books this year, um, that's fine. What 12 books are you going to read next year? I should say what 11 books other than selling from the heart are you going to read next year? Right, Larry, but, um, making channel sales work. That's right. And we get the audio book for selling for the heart for Christmas. I know that's going to be our gift because Larry, you said you're almost done, which is really cool. But you know that, what are you doing to invest in yourself? The second thing is productivity. Like what are you going to do to make sure you're not that shocking statistic where only 3.7% of your time is spent? Can I, can I throw something out? Yeah. Okay. And um, there, do you understand how compound, uh, how compound interest works? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So imagine you take $100 and you get daily interest of half a percent. Now, in the UK, we have a 270 working day year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, over the course of a year, if you just aim to deliberately improve by half a percent a day, which is not beyond the capability of anyone that you employ. Mm-hmm. Have a stab at what you're left with. So it's every working day, but no weekends. You can take weekends off. Um, If you work 270 days a year and you incrementally improve by half a percent a day, what are you left with in terms of your $100 investment at the end of that year? Daily compound interest. Larry, uh, I know you were a math major in college. What what do we get? Did you, did you feel the bucket? Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I was such a math major in college that I wound up in sales, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let, let's, put you, let's put you out of my misery. Um, so, um, you, you'll end up with $373. Nice. Okay. Now, daily incremental improvement. Mm-hmm. Make it a habit that you will improve half a percent a day. And that means capture three lessons a day and implement them. And better still, within 24 hours, teach them to someone else so you really understand the lesson. Now, off every call, that, um, you know, we, one of the rules that we teach in Sandler is every prospecting call is interest paid in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, today's dump is tomorrow's ice cream. It translates much better on your side of the pond than mine. <laughs> Uh, I won't explain why. Um, and um, uh, the, the, the point is, every time you take a beating from a prospect, that should be a lesson. Um, right. Every time you mess up, every objection that comes your way that you haven't been able to handle effectively, um, every obstacle, every roadblock, every one of those should be a, a, an opportunity to learn. And mm-hmm. failure is your best teacher. And coming back to your original question, um, about the A player, who or the former A player who used to mm-hmm. be a contender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 
what they should, they need to understand is that failure is universal. It's part of the human condition and it's unavoidable. It's how you respond to failure that matters. If you choose to take it personally as if it's a personality defect, then tough, it serves you right. You deserve mm-hmm. all the suffering and misery you get. If, on the other hand, you recognize it for what it is, which is a, the gift of the lesson, um, and you take the time and energy uh, to work out, okay, if I had my time again, what would I do differently? What would I not do? Um, what would I do more of? Um, and keep asking those kind of questions of yourself. Then mm-hmm. you'll find that you will improve. And by sharing your improvement with other people in the team, and um, this is why uh, sales meetings are absolutely uh, done wrong. The idea that you're going to have 10 sales reps sat around listening to other people live from that work of fiction they call a forecast. Um, and for every man minute, uh, for every minute, that's 10 man minutes wasted. Um, yeah. And before you know it, you know, you've got 48 of those in the year. That's 48, yeah. uh, 480 man hours. That's the equivalent of um, one full year. Uh, so um, th- th- that's about 10 or 12 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he- here, here, here's what's, here's what's interesting. And if you ask a group of salespeople and their managers included, I know cause I've asked before is y'all get them bobbling, bobbing their heads. They'll go, are your customers changing? Yes. Is, are your surroundings changing? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Are people asking more of you than they have before? Yes. Then isn't it interesting how somehow somewhere sales organizations struggle to adapt and change along the way. And what they expect is they expect that the way they've been working will continue to work, but yet they all agree that change is happening around them. Something just doesn't jive around that one. Well, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. Um, And if things have changed and you keep doing what you've uh, always done, chances are the outcome is going to be significantly worse. Yeah. Wow. You know, you said failure is universal and unavoidable and I can't, you know, what's beautiful about the sales profession, if failure truly is the world's most fertile ground for learning and growth, we have a lot of opportunities to fail in the sales profession. I mean, there's, there's very few professions that have as much failure built into them as, as sales, maybe baseball is the only thing I can think of the batter. Failure is not the problem. Failure isn't a sin. Repeating the failure without improvement is. Bingo. And yeah. That's, yeah. that's just called plain stupid. Um, yeah. you know, if, if, if you've made a mistake, or uh, then confess and ask forgiveness. Um, if you haven't been able to deal with the situation, um, then confront it by looking in the mirror and do a debrief. Um, yeah. So again, one of the things I always teach my clients is do a written pre-call plan, then rehearse. And this comes as a bit of a shock to most of my clients. For every hour you're in front of the prospect, invest three hours in perfect practice, in rehearsing as if it, your life depended on it. And then when you come out, do a written post-call debrief and then have someone verbally debrief you to capture the lessons and identify the gaps. Um, because all too often, we waste those opportunities. Now, when you think about it, 47% of pursuits end up in no decision. of first meetings end up in no second meeting. So if you're not putting that investment up front in terms of preparation and rehearsal, um, then is it any wonder that eight out of 10 of your meetings, uh, first meetings don't result in a second meeting and then half of those pursuits end up in no decision. That is massively, massively ineffective. 
mean, it's not only inefficient, but it's ineffective. And if you just halve that number, um, and you you or you double that uh, the number of uh, meetings, so you go uh, say um, five of your meetings or four of your meetings end up uh, going through to a second, you're going to pretty much on the basis of the numbers double your revenue. Uh, mm-hmm. If you uh, eliminate the early non non prospects and you disqualify them, then you can invest the time, the money, the resource on the opportunities you should pursue. And we see this all the time. And um, it really gets very complex and extremely expensive when you're dealing with third-party channels. Uh, It's bad enough in direct sales, but when you're dealing with um, multiple partners and you're trying to manage um, uh, dozens or hundreds of partners uh, and all of their sales cycles, if you're not really effective at prepping uh, your partners on how to sell, um, then they're going to go dark on you very quickly. If you haven't helped them make the second sale, within mm-hmm. the first 90 days, they go dark. Now, you could have invested 14, 15 grand recruiting them um, you know, on, and onboarding them and provisioning them and putting them onto your PRM and uh, product training and all that kind of rubbish. Um, and before you know it, they've gone dark because you haven't done the basics, mm-hmm. uh, because you're not coaching. I, I interviewed a guy called Kieran Cron, who won uh, the world's best channel manager. He spends 70% of his time coaching the salespeople in his partners. 70%. Now, a manager of direct salespeople should be spending about that amount of time coaching, training, uh, doing field visits and windscreen training uh, so that they're getting on-the-job coaching and development. And everybody is improving because that's the manager's job. They have four functions. Hire the best people, get the best out of them, make sure they have the tools and resources they need to do their best work, protect them from their idiot management, and hand over all of their accounts uh, to their salespeople. That's it. This is so good. I, I'm just taking notes like a, a madman here, and I bet uh, many of our listeners are doing the same thing. And I, I, um, I'm really grateful for this conversation today because I think what's coming out of this are some really powerful nuggets of action items that, that we can put to work to plan for a really good year next year. And Marcus, I'm really thankful yeah. for, for this conversation. Yeah. I, I want to have you back. I want to talk about, we were going to talk about channel today and we got involved in talking <laughs> about a players and I think that's okay. We'll, we'll have to have Marcus back to talk about channel. Cause I know that's near and dear to, uh, to my heart and, and his as well. But, um, Marcus, I just, uh, I just want to say a genuine thank you for the, the wisdom and insight you've shared today. If you could say one last thing to this global audience of really, truly, we've got A players listening to this podcast. We've got people who really care. They wouldn't be listening if they didn't want to be better. If you could say one thing to a global group of sales professionals like, like we have here on Selling from the Heart, what would you say? Invest relentlessly in yourself and practice perfectly. Perfect practice makes perfect. Um, half-baked practice doesn't. If I practice my bad swing going around the golf course, I guarantee I will just get better at shanking and getting into the woods. Um, if, on the other hand, I focus on uh, visualizing the shot, get my stance right, get my swing right, lead with my left hand, uh, no uh, push from the right, uh, make sure that I don't lift my head, all that kind of stuff, and I really focus on doing a perfect shot. Um, and the same thing with your personal development. A um, couple of books that are must-reads, um, apart from, obviously, Selling from the Heart and Making Channel Sales Work by me, 
Okay, um, that was good, Marcus. I was I was going to get on you if you didn't mention it. <laughs> um, but uh, Just Listen by Mark Goulston is an absolute must. Um, if you are if you're basically a member of the human race, that is the number one book. If you never read another book in your life, read that. Wow, one. Just Listen um, by Mark who? Goulston, G O U L S T O N. All right, he's Perfect. a marvelous man. And if you if you ever get a chance to get a, a fabulous keynote speaker, um, then get him to your sales kickoff. Uh, he does, his his passion in life is uh, suicide prevention in teens, um, and uh, he 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 makes a living uh, speaking in public. Uh, but he can only do the pro bono stuff if people get him um, mm-hmm. to uh, onto the stage. So he is fabulous. Uh, the other book that I'm just in the middle of reading at the moment, which is an absolute must is the, Load, uh, the Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. I love um, that, that title. Packed, packed full of uh, gems. And Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, those three books are okay. superb. Um, I, I have a book. I mean, I read, I, I, my eyesight went um, a bit fuzzy about uh, five or six years ago, and I got onto audiobooks. And I must have listened to 750 in the last five years. You cannot fill your brain up. Um, it mm-hmm. never fills up. And um, the beauty of Audible is you can play it up to triple speed. So if it's a terrible book, you can get through it in a third of the time. And if it's really good, you can listen to it three times um, in the same time as you can. <laughs> okay, so, so, on that, so on that note, since my audio book is coming out, I'm going to encourage you, do not listen to it in triple speed because you are going to miss some things. I want you to slow it down as much as possible. <laughs> I, I'm going to challenge you on that, Larry. What I, would, what, um, I, I, I find my retention rate is significantly higher when I play it at a faster speed than the 150 words a minute they recommend. Oh. Um, and there's always bookmarking. That's um, cool. So, I love that. Well, see, I'm going to, just for fun, I'm going to play Larry's book on half speed. Because I think he'll sound really intelligent if we do that. <laughs> but if, if, you, if you play him at triple speed, he sounds like a Smurf. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Marcus, thank you so much for, for sharing your insight and your time um, with us. Thanks for being a Selling from the Heart champion. We really appreciate it. To our audience and everyone out there, um, I just want to say a sincere thank you as well. This is a great time to plan. So as we've learned today, uh, you know, as you're thinking about next year and when what it's going to take for you to reach the next level, think about, uh, you know, who's your coach? Are you going to get a coach? If, if you don't have one, get one. If you, um, what's your learning plan? How are you going to invest in yourself? And finally, and I think a huge nugget of this is what can you do to boost your productivity? I loved that half a percent a day compounded over one business year. Fantastic. But well, I, imagine what you get after two years, three years, five oh years. Oh my goodness, it's it's astounding. You might actually be up to a normal level of productivity from that three. Happy holidays on that one, Daryl. Well, hey everybody, till next week. Keep being genuine, keep being authentic, keep adding real value, invest relentlessly in yourself, and most of all, sell from the heart. Thanks for listening to the Selling from the Heart podcast on the SalesCast Network. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We appreciate your encouraging reviews as it helps us spread the word. As always, we would love to connect with you. So look for us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and your favorite podcast platform. This podcast is produced by our friends at SalesCast. 
Learn more at www.salescast.co. We look forward to seeing you next time.